Hey, everybody, this is Keith Sarlos, and uh, welcome to the second edition of what we're calling uh, Hello, Stranger, Goodbye, Friend. And maybe I should uh, uh, kind of explain that a little bit. What we're doing is we're uh, interviewing people that used to be strangers. Maybe they're a stranger to you. Uh, they were a stranger to me. And uh, through the course of what has been now 10 years that we have had the tasting room open, have become people that are very good friends. And this is my chance to invite a uh, few people that I care about that have been a real big part of this quote unquote Sarlos and Sons journey and uh, get a little retrospective and talk about who they are, what they've been and how our lives have been intertwined. So a little bit of uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, uh, but this is uh, winemakers uh, whining and drinking booze. So that being said, this is episode two, and I want to introduce you to a man that probably needs no introduction, um, but also a man that without him, there might not be a Sarlos and Sons. There probably wouldn't. Um, his name is Matthew Kaner, and Matthew was and is and has become a great big part of my life, and his journey in this last 10 years has been absolutely amazing. But we met a long time ago on a hill, and we had no idea who each other were. Um, and it's blossomed not only into a great friendship, but it is amazing to be a spectator watching uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Kaner's life. So, Matt, how is that for an introduction? Are we done? Is that it? I mean, I think I kinda, it's over. <laughs> I know we can we can stop recording. Yeah, I'm perfect. Gonna, I'm going to bow and you know applaud back to you, and I, I'm going to go back to work. So, so Matt, come on, man, give me like give me the five second who Matt Kaner is, where where you came from, what you did. Uh, this is your chance to do your humble brag uh, all the way. Give give me who you, give me who you are to the people that are listening. So Matt, Matthew Kaner, speaking in the third person, is a person yes. who. Uh, was born in Louisiana, but brought up in Santa Barbara, California. And having that sort of proximity to vineyards ended up becoming a really important thing in my life. Uh, I didn't drink wine as a kid, really. I drank more beer and liquor as a you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old adolescent making trouble in Santa Barbara. Um, but I always knew that vineyards were close, and I always knew that wine was something that was driving the area. So when I flash forward to my college years, I stayed in Santa Barbara, went to UCSB, and I was very lucky to make a close friend there whose dad was a big wine collector. For whatever reason, that guy decided to shower us with these insane wines like uh, Cristal from the 70s and Armagnac from the oh. 1800s and you know Mosul Rieslings from the 50s and all this crazy shit that at this point I just wish I could get back to kind of like, <laughs> wines that were when I was 20, 21. Those were what I was becoming knowledgeable on and – what ended up happening was while I was in college, while I was learning a bit more about wine, I also was trying to be a musician. And it was early days for that. I was a guitar player, songwriter. I ended up being in a band for a while with a girl who had been on American Idol and we were young and dumb and thought we were going to be famous, which, you know, any upper middle class white kid thinks is possible. <laughs> it's just a dumb thing that we all think is true. And you know what? Maybe that naivete is positive. And I'm kind of glad that I was wrong because... What's amazing about it is it brought me to an actual passion of mine and realizing that in order to try to do music, you have to have a job on the side. So I was working in a restaurant, a friend of mine's dad had owned, and I was the manager there and it was time for me to be done. I just needed to move on. So I ended up walking in with a letter of resignation and my keys. That was in 2005 uh, in June. And I never went back, sadly. Uh, I still feel bad about that. But um, I ended up getting a job, my first wine job kind of a fake it till you make it kind of experience at the wine cask wine store in June of 2005. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life where I started to think, wow, this whole exclusionary world of music that I've been trying so hard to be a part of, and it all depended on how tight your jeans were and how cool your hair was. All of a sudden I'm in this world of wine and food and welcomed with open arms and people are so happy you're there and interested in learning knowledge about whatever they do. And, you know, you get such front row access to winemakers and to wine distributors and importers when you work at a store like that. Basically, overnight, I went from knowing enough to lie and get myself a job in a wine store that was world famous to then having this really insane bell curve of knowledge where 
everything is at your fingertips. It's all possible for you to learn. And you, know, yeah. you brought up an interesting point, not to cut you off, but I think so many people, I know I felt it, you know, in the very beginning where you feel like the fraud police are going to show up. Right. And all I of a sudden you're going to get that. kicked. I do. I feel like that every day. Dude, I have like, these conversations with myself weekly. <laughs> weekly. Especially, I just watched both of the fire. Uh, fire oh, festivals. yeah. I just watched them both. They're amazing. And look, I'm so glad that there's people like that, which put people like me in check where I'm like, oh, no, I don't do anything illegal. Never mind. I'm good. We're good. Right, 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 right. But, but the, Lord. are you still waiting for them to show up? I wait every single day for the front door to get kicked in. The fraud police shows up and goes, who are you? You don't do this. You don't make wine. I mean, give me a break. Beat it, kid. And I would I would almost probably walk out the door because I'm like, yeah, I've been faking it a long time, man. Yeah, but, I, had a, I had an outer body experience. Uh, last week I was in Germany giving a talk to 80 different winemakers who had to pay to be in the room and listen to myself – and um, five other speakers <laughs> speak about our experiences in the U.S. wine market. And I'm thinking to myself, right. how am I qualified to have this talk with these people who want to get better? How did I get here? And uh, yeah. yeah, by grinding. You, you and I both know the answer to that. You and I both know the answer to that is 10 years of day in, day out. The first thought that pops into your head is your passion and your pursuit. And the last thought that pops into your head at the end of the night is, did I get a little farther today? And I think you, you string a few of those together. And one day you're sitting in front of a bunch of people in Germany where they're going, uh, we don't know. You seem to know. What should we do? And that all yeah. comes from the grind. You know that you bring up music. You, you don't you don't get on. You know, how do you get on stage at Carnegie Hall? You know, the answer is practice. Right. Absolutely Right. And, you know, for me, I took. Um, nine years of my life and did not have one scheduled day off in those nine years. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I, it was what had to happen to, you know, it's this nagging thing of never being quite, um, whatever you accomplish is never enough. And I'm trying mm -hmm. not to get mm -hmm. ahead of myself or also let it get away from me. Because sometimes I look at what I've accomplished and what I've done and who I've done it with. It, for some reason, it doesn't feel enough, which I don't think is fair to me. Mm -hmm to the accomplishments that me and my business partners have had and the amount of people we've touched. I don't want to be as hard on myself anymore. And, you know, to look at myself almost 36 years old and say, I've done nothing is unfair to myself. So Agreed. I ended up giving myself a day off, which is incredible. It's been good for my peace of mind. And, um, it actually allows you to kind of look in the mirror a bit and, and reflect. And I think something like this, this conversation we're having for me is a really great reflection point. Um, I don't really get to have these moments day to day because there's just too much right in front of me. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think it's really important to go back and think, how did I get here? Who are the people who helped me arrive here? Who's important in my life moving forward? And what are the next set of goals I can accomplish now? And Absolutely. I'll tell you, the next set of goals are ones that include a day off. And I think that's okay. Awesome. Well, I didn't mean to step in front of you. Keep, keep going on your journey, man. Keep yeah. talking about where you were. Where exactly. And we're about to intertwine. So um, music <clears throat> became something that um, I needed to put a little more attention into about a year and a half after I started working at the wine cask. Mm -hmm. So I ended up moving to Los Angeles, which if you're from the central coast of California um, and you've ever attempted this, God awful idea of moving to the devil city of Los Angeles. I can't yeah. tell you how many friends of mine tried to talk me out of it. Tell me how bad it was going to be, how the people are so vain and it's terrible and you'll never be happy there. So many people try to tell me not to move here. And what's amazing about that kind of mentality is it's not just in the central coast. It's in San Francisco. It's mostly, it's dissipating throughout the country, but it's something mm -hmm. like New York has always had a complex against LA I think a lot of the Midwest has this thing, uh, unless you want to be a famous actor, people just don't want to move to LA. And but it's, it's the traffic. That's the only thing I think people oh, hate. I mean, yeah, it's all these people in their cars keeping you from living in the greatest city on the West Coast. That's a terrible totally. yeah, right. Yeah, totally. As, <laughs> as someone who grew up in Long Beach, you know, the only thing that I miss, you know, not the only thing I probably the only thing I don't miss is traffic. You know, yeah, I'd go to LA every day if it was an hour and a half away and I could just breeze in, breeze out. But yeah, you know. I mean, look, that, 
We all use traffic as an excuse. Traffic's not that big of a deal. Just Traffic's the tax. <laughs> what, what you need to do, what you honestly, what's what I think vital for LA success is never to be traveling at a time when all the other people are. How about that? That's within your reach. That's within totally. your. If you don't want to arrive at work at eight a.m., don't yeah. create a world where you don't have to. That is another excellent talking point. On a super side note, but you know, creating the world that you want to live. You know, as as a kid who grew up, where you know the end of the the end of my town was kind of like the end of the world for me, right? That, yeah, that's as far right. as as far as I could ride my bike was the end of the world, right. and realizing that, and that's one of the things I I like doing with my kids. I like to point at people and say, "That's a job. That's a job." That's a job. These are all things that you can do if properly motivated that you can make into a career, into a job. Because what I'm doing right now, as my wife says, I was born to do this. But on a side note, I never knew that this existed. I didn't know that this was a job. And I, I spent a lot of time teaching that to my kids. But please keep going. Keep going. I love it. That, that's, I'm going to carry that with me and I'm going to think a lot about that. Um, yeah. So the next step for me was when I moved to LA, what happens next? And yeah. I tried really hard to just do music. That was my goal. And in my trying really hard three months later, I ended up needing a job again, which is mm-hmm. just kind of how it works. Some things fell through. I was supposed to be a tour manager for a gig that didn't end up happening. I was supposed to open a tour with my guitar and my own voice, just naked up on stage. That didn't end up happening the way it was supposed to. So, um, very serendipitously, I had rented a three month sublease and it was about to come to an end. Um, but this, the guy who I rented it from, he left town and with him, he took all of his belongings. He left obviously like his desk and his bed and things like that for me to live in, in the sublease situation. But the one thing he left was a postcard that was put up on the side of a filing cabinet with a little magnet. And it was for a place called Silver Lake Wine. And uh, Silver Lake Wine was something I'd never heard of before. I popped it into Google Maps back in 2006 when it was like the first. You weren't having to map quest everything anymore. You could use Google right. Maps. Right. And I realized it was right around the corner. And having worked in wine for like the last 18 months and been really inspired, I knew I had to go check it out. So I found a reason to need a bottle of wine. I went and checked out the store. And I walked in kind of like a kid in a candy shop where it was such cool design. And I just really loved the way that they approached it. It wasn't just like a bunch of wine racks thrown together with wine on them. It was actually like, it was almost like a pretty version of what we had seen as a wine store prior to that. Mm -hmm. And when I was offered some help, I let them know I was just going to be taking a look and I took everything in. I literally looked at every bottle they had. And from that first experience, what I took away was I know half of what they have and the other half I've never even fucking heard of. Mm -hmm. So that's got to be a good sign. That actually Mm -hmm. really excited me. So it's kind of like digging through crates of your buddies. Uh, you know, you make a new friend and all of a sudden you're flipping through, you know, listen to this one kids, but the, you're, you're riding shotgun and you're flipping through the CD collection. Right. And oh, I'm hoping you're on records. You're oh, CD. Well, I'm, I could have gone records, but you know, we might, <laughs> might, well, my kids know what records are. So we'll just say records. Right. And you start digging crates <laughs> and you start flipping and all of a sudden you go, what's this? And they go, you've never heard of them. And you go, exactly. no, should I? And they go, pop it in, man. Let's listen. And you listen. And all, all the, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Keep going, man. So I ended up emailing them, well, I don't know, a week later or so explaining my situation. And I was hoping I could get some sort of an opportunity. Um, and then I ended up going through a bit of a, you know, correspondence period. And I think there was two interviews. Um, and then they decided they ended up needing some help for the holidays. So like October of 2006 is where we're talking now. I get a job a couple days a week, helping them for holiday help, taking deliveries. At that point they were getting orders all over LA and they didn't know who was going to take them and deliver them. So I ended up, you know, being a delivery boy a lot of the time. And then when I was in the store, I think I ended up proving I was a little more valuable than just a delivery guy. So it turned into, um, Actually, oh, this person should be recommending wine to our guests. So I went from three days a week holiday help to like five days a week actually stocking wine and talking about wine and sitting in on tastings with the owners sometimes. I worked at some of their tastings. And it ended up becoming a really amazing opportunity for me to learn about community. I learned about wine there, obviously. I learned about a lot of things I didn't know in the wine world. But more than anything, I took away from there how to be a part of a community. Can we talk about that a little more? 
Yeah, because that's it's something that's really hard to even talk about because people have this experience kind of as an epiphany on their own. And I don't know if it's something that you can like teach, mostly because how do you create um, not necessarily an environment, but how do you create like a an ethos or how do you create what a place like that that has a stronghold in the neighborhood? How mm-hmm. do you make that happen? It's not something that can be synthetically no. just no, fabricated. No, no, no. There's no formula for it. It's how do you become? How do you become the house everybody default goes to when you're a kid, right? And and they all show up, and everybody's knocking on your door, and all of a sudden your house is the. I won't say it. It's not the right word, but it was just like the place you feel number one. And I'm going to give you my two cents on this, right? If you extrapolate on that thought, think about all the factors that have to go into that. So first off, there has to be space in the house. Second yep. off, there has to be parents who are not dicks and are okay with all the kids being there. And they're then cool you with you eating all the food. You got to have <laughs> the food in the fridge. You got to have, everyone's got to have a bike so they can get there. Like Fun all these video games. Yeah, yeah totally. Right. Totally. So when, so when I start thinking about just the, like the energy behind what Silver Lake wine was in the early days, which mm-hmm. it still has, and it's only continued to, to grow as they've expanded and their empire is growing throughout LA. But the original Silver Lake wine on Glendale Boulevard in Silver Lake is this mm-hmm. like beacon of, of community. It's what they wanted. It's what they desired. And they actually created that. And so yes. for me, when I, when I think about my time there, what I learned is if you're someone who shows up, cares about the guests, actually has the answer to their questions, follows up, finds out if they enjoyed things, you become part of their life. They become part of your life. And you're just helping your friends in the end. It becomes an extension of their life. It's not so when bars were first a thing in like early British or American culture, the bar was obviously where you went to get a drink, but it's also where you learned like why so and so was in town. That was where cultural reference, you know. I like to call it we like at our taste room, we call it the analog chat room, right? Where you come into a place, and I'm gonna I'm gonna extrapolate a little bit deeper on what you are talking about because I am a hundred percent in on this. Like our whole goal here is family, right? It's like you come in like this, like what we're talking about. Hello, stranger. Goodbye friend. Right. When, when, when I think of a good place, like I, I never think of like Sarlson sons as a tasting room. We are a skate shop that sells wine. Right. (laughs) And when you come in there, there's two skate shops in the world. There's the one where you come in and the people like vibe you out and, and it's like Jack Black and high fidelity. You know, yeah. you ask for the wrong record and you're going to get, ber- you're going to get berated and people are going to talk crap and you're never going to come back. Right. Or you're the place where you come in and you're like, Hey, what do you got? What are you working with? And you show them and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, come here. Let me show you some stuff. And all of a sudden you feel like, accepted like instantly accepted right and i think that is you know as you and i have talked about so many times like wine in general wine like wine is community it is communion it is the bottle you open and everybody tastes the same thing at the same time you're having a shared experience just like driving in a car and listening to the same song or going to a concert and everybody vibes up at the same time and everybody is in it that is the goal that me personally every bottle we make that's the goal right everybody takes it everybody hits it all at the same time and all of a sudden you got this little you know that 70s show circle of people that are all feeling the same thing at the same time and everything's hitting just right so exactly right i'm a hundred percent and i think matt you you've been such an influence on me and uh with that that feeling silver lake wine absolutely um but I think that is something, you know, in this exclusionary world of wine that I hate. Like, if you're exclusionary in wine, you're a dick and you miss the point. The whole point should be like, let's sit down, break bread. Everybody gets on the same vibe together and we're closer when we leave. It's the campfire you bear your soul over, you know? You know what? It, it, you make a good point and I, to an extent I agree with you. But I'm actually glad there's those exclusionary people because it makes people like us who are not like that look even better. And you know what? We're allowed to be different. We're allowed to have our own approach. We're allowed to do what we think works for us. And if you want to make people feel bad for not wanting what you make or for not having the knowledge you have, you're going to deal with the repercussions. You know, totally. it's, it's kind of like a self-policing thing. I, I and the older is, I get, you're right. It is self-policing. And you know well, what? But here's the thing. Like, you and I will both say that – 
any success that either of either of I either you or I have ever had, right? Has I I always go back to because we're real and we treat people with respect and honesty and we want them to be a part of our family. Absolutely. We welcome when them people in. get yeah, and when the people get pissed off at neither me or you or do the hater on hate thing, what I always think is like, well, that's that's just you're reaping what you sow. You know what I mean? People don't want right. to go hang out of the house where the like go back to the parent analogy, right? Where right. they're like, you need to get out. Don't eat my food. Uh, I'm watching TV. Uh, you know, you're like, why would we go hang there? You know, that that place sucks. I learned so, from one of my investors who uh, he's a close friend. He's not just an investor, but he, he has two sons who are like two years apart. Now they're in their twenties. Yeah. His house was the sacred place. It's where yeah. all the kids went. They all felt comfortable being there. And the whole deal was you guys can smoke pot. You can make beats in the garage. You can drink, <laughs> but there's a bowl and all the kids go in the bowl. Yeah. You're either here got or you're not here, you know, and you're not getting out of here in a bad way. And that, you know, the American way, we're so wrapped up in what everyone does and the potential of things going wrong. Sometimes we lose the opportunity to really just inspire someone and be okay with things and let things play out. And so I learned really distinctly from my friend, Phil, that it's all okay. Let kids be kids. And at the end of the day, you know what? They're going to be all right. They got to learn their way too. But obviously you don't want to encourage them to do something bad and and make bad decisions. But, you know... having the cool parent makes things easier. And at the end of the day, all kids really want to do is have a little drink and smoke a little weed anyway. It just is what it is. See, my, my analogy with that, with, with, um, you know, cash and Brielle are seem to be like real free range kids, you know? And the thing that I learned a long time ago was, you know, how, how much did you like it when your dad held your hand, you know? And I went, huh? And it was like, yeah, I'd never learned anything with my dad holding my hand. It was always like, every time I get on a motorcycle, I always think that analogy as well, where there's a potential for really bad things to happen very quickly. But I've also crisscrossed the countries with some of my best friends and had the time of my life on the back of a bike. So absolutely. Which is a terrible idea when you conceptualize it and think, Hey mom, do you think I should do this? No, absolutely. No, <laughs> but those memories you'll never, ever, ever lose. Totally. So keep so, going, keep going, keep yeah. going. So, so, Man, so could, like, this could be a six-hour show, just so you know. I know. <laughs> I know. I like wine became really seminal in my life, and um, I was just starting to understand, like, okay, music is important to me, but this this might be a career. This is something I could consider actually doing for a job. And I still <laughs> hadn't really made that decision yet. I was still going on little tours and still making records and still things like, you know, writing songs and whatever on my, my spare time. But wine became something that I ended up focusing on. And the, a, a really big moment for me at that point was uh, one of the owners challenged me in a really interesting way. He, he pulls me aside one day, and this is our friend Randy Clement. He goes, mm-hmm. Randy's um, going to be on the show for sure. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. I know that's going to, that's the one where we just might as well put the explicit tag on it and let it run for five hours. We'll roll blank tape on that one. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> so, Randy comes to me and it, you know, it wasn't like a special thing. I don't know if he even had thought it over. I think it just came to his head and he's like, Hey, you're from Santa Barbara. Why don't you go find all the wines from Santa Barbara that no one knows about? That's how he put it to me. It was just simple. It was kind of nonchalant, kind of challenging. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right. So I did a lot of research and I'm pretty good at finding the answer to things. And I found two different th- wines that I realized I had never heard of. I didn't find any information about them. And I knew that was a good lead. So one of them was a wine called Angelica Cellars. Mm-hmm. Come to find out later that that wine was uh, a label created by someone who became a very close friend of mine later and also worked for me at Bar Covell later, a guy named Eduardo Porto Carrero and his business partner, Ben, who's a uh, kind of a massive TV star now. He's on that show, Superstar. Yeah. Or Superstore. Superstore, excuse yeah. me. Um, so they had this little wine that they made from the White Hawk Vineyard. And, you know, we'll throw that away for now because it's not as important. The second wine, I could find zero information about <laughs> other than... It was listed on the old Winecast website, um, which again, I knew that if my old bosses at the Winecast could come for this wine, at least it was worth my time investigating. Mm. And that wine was called Sarlos and Sons, 
from the Santianez Valley, and it was a 2005 vintage Syrah. Yeah. And what no one really knows, and it doesn't really matter, but Syrah was really seminal in my personal wine journey. Not just the wines that were shown to me, but things that I found a love for. Um, Burgundy was something that I first realized I love it, but I can't afford it. And then all of a sudden I got hooked on the Rhone Valley and specifically the Northern Rhone Valley, Cornas, Cote Roti, Hermitage, Saint-Joseph, Croz Hermitage, all these amazing places where Syrah is the rock star. And so when I knew that Syrah was uh, a bit of a focus for these guys, or at least something they grew and put attention into, uh, I knew I needed to figure out who they were. And so I did a little Googling and I found a kind of old <laughs> rundown, not so pretty website with a phone number. And I called the phone. Number. I think the website just had a phone number on it. Actually, the bottle had a phone number on it too. Our home yeah. phone number, home phone number. So I called the phone number and I, what I don't remember is if I left a voicemail or if someone picked up, I don't remember that, but I do remember that either I got a call back or we connected or whatever. And what I expected to be, let's say a five minute phone conversation, eight minute phone conversation. I'm pretty sure uh, a guy named Keith Sarlos and I were on the phone for about an hour. Yeah, and for sure. the perspective uh, in the store when I'm working on the, on the clock for Silver Lake Wine, Randy's pacing up and down the store, staring at me, wondering why I'm still on the phone. Was his hand on his <laughs> mouth right under his chin? He was biting the, the, yes, uh, the yes. towel right around yeah. the side of his uh, <laughs> you know, He put the towel over his shoulder and he's biting on it and walking up and down, yeah. pulling on the bottom of his shirt. Just, you know, I, I knew that he was upset, but I was also doing what he asked. So I, I kind of took a liberty. And I think we were on the phone for like 45 minutes or an hour, give or take. Right. But what I took away from that phone conversation was many times I had driven Ballard Canyon. And um, there's a vineyard that I had noticed but never knew who was behind it. And it was um, – it's on the hairpin turn uh, there on, uh, you know, in Ballard Canyon across from – pretty sure that's Tierra Alta Vineyard. Yeah, that it's, wasn't there at the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was nothing there. We were the most. Now here all. Yes, there, we right? were the northernmost vineyard on Ballard Canyon. Yep. So I kept thinking, who are these people? I love their sign. I love the, it's manicured beautifully. And then come to find out the person I call and get on the phone with, that's the vineyard that they're sourcing. Their, they're growing their Syrah from. Yeah. And so I told them like, hey, I, I might get a day off. I, I would love to come take a look. And um it's it's funny talking about the person to the person. No, but, man, uh, I'm, I'm I'm soaking this in. But you know what? You're tell, you're not talking to me. You're talking to every other person who's going to listen to this. You invited me to your um, your property. Yeah, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I was going to meet a guy named Keith. So I drive in, and for me at that point, like this is 2008. And, um, in 2008, I had worked in wine for, you know, three years and I loved it. I had visited some vineyards, but mostly in California. I'd been to Santa Barbara, Atascadero, Arroyo Grande, Paso Robles. I think I'd been to Sonoma once. I had been to Anderson Valley, Alexander Valley. Um, I had been to Napa, but I'd never really tasted at a winery in Napa. And I was still green in that respect, you know? So I arrived to this incredibly manicured, beautiful vineyard, and the, the elevation of the driveway takes you past this beautiful house, and then it ends at the, what looks like a barn that had been redone. And yeah. I look down, and I see an incredible terrace of vineyards, and it's this micro bowl, a beautiful um, kind of carved into the hillside, immaculately planted vineyard, and then out walks this amazing guy, jovial, big smile, glasses, salt and pepper hair and welcomes me with a big smile and says, nice to meet you and walks me inside the, the barn and tells me they just had like a worship group there the night before. And yeah. My like, mom huh. had her, my mom had her church group there. Yeah. Right on. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and so I, at that point I'm like, this could go one of two ways. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to go. You drink the Kool-Aid. Um, so I asked you a few questions. You told me about, you know, the, the history of the property. You told me about, you know, your, your father and Harvey or his brother, your uncle Harvey's um, goal of f fulfilling their father's dream that their father didn't get to live out, which was growing something from the ground. And they got this property. There was apples on the property. They did a bunch of research and realized they should probably plant grapes there. And then by, I think, 2000, 
and three, you were able to produce your first vintage of Syrah from the property. You then produced a second vintage of 2005, both of which we got to try side by side, which was incredible. I think you only had maybe like 20 bottles of 2003 available at yeah, all anymore. At that's right. Anyway, and you opened one for me, which I thought was so insane. And the, the viewpoint of what I had of the vineyard, the quick interaction I had with you, the way I felt when I got there, the serendipity of the phone call and it being the vineyard I always wondered about, I just had this kind of magical feeling. And we ended up spending, I don't know, about an hour and a half, two hours together, yeah. which was way more time than I thought we would get. Um, but there was this really pivotal moment where I think we were just opening our souls a little bit to each other without realizing it was happening. And you asked me a really important question, something I'll never forget. You, you, you kind of look at me and you go, so what do you want to do? Like, what are your goals? And at that point, I was, let's say, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working an hourly job at a place that I really enjoyed. I had wanted to do music, and I didn't know if that was something I was going to continue with. And, I mean, I had, like, dreams. I had things that I had thought about, but I didn't really know how to accomplish things. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to tell them exactly what I'm thinking. I want to have a restaurant. I want to have a music venue. I want to have a vineyard and make wine. Mm -hmm. Those are, that's what I want to do. That's right. Absolutely. And you kind of, you got introspective for a moment and looked away and then you looked back and you go, I, I think I can help you. I can help you. And I go, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? And you said, we can make wine together. Let's do that. Yeah. And that really, that was, that moment was when I realized when you have a dream and a thought and they come together, because sometimes, sometimes you have a dream and it's not accomplishable. Mm hmm times you have a dream and you just have to climb the ladder enough and you have to you have to accomplish micro goals to get to that bigger goal absolutely i realized that you were a gatekeeper for me in my life you were a facilitator for me in my life hmm. and i don't know if we knew that on the phone when we first talked or when i first saw you when i got out of my car that day or even an hour into the conversation i don't know if either of us had any idea that was happening but you at that moment became a facilitator in my life and I've realized that not only do I need facilitators, but I also need to be one. Mm -hmm. And that was a really pivotal thing in my life where I realized I can accomplish my goals with the help of people who can facilitate them. And honestly, I, that's what I call a line in the sand moment. It's like, you know, you're at the beach and you draw a line. You've got one side of the line. You got the other side of the line. There was no going back for me. It was all forward at that point. And that was a really important line in the sand moment for me, meeting you, having you say that, and then basically us creating what became AMFM. Yeah. That, and we should, let's talk about that. I mean, number one, that the incredibly amazing things you said, and, and I'm, I'm more than humbled and I'm, I'm very honored to be a part of uh, your journey in a small way. I mean, with that, let me, let me give you my side of that, per, that conversation. One of yeah, the things please. that <clears throat> was happening, and, and you brought up, you know, a uh, failed musician, right? For me, <clears throat> during that time, you know, I had a couple coffee shops. I was doing everything I could to, to live in this valley because the, the place that you went and visited, you know, I was living there. And it was like me, my wife, my, you know, young daughter that would basically sleep between us in bed every night in that open barn with that only had a right. pot belly stove for heat, right? Right. Um, you know, you talk about the quote unquote failed musician, which is probably the best thing that ever happened to you. You know, when we bought that vineyard, it was an apple orchard and we were failed apple farmers, right? We tore, <laughs> we literally tore the apples out and planted grapes because we needed something to sell, you know, where you're talking about you tasted wine and it got you, it pulled you in. You know, I never did that before we did this. I wasn't, you, you rattled off, you know, 10 different AVAs or 10 different regions that I've been to three of those, right? I'm going to France for the first time in my life this year. And we're going to go to the Rhone because I, I'm embarrassed are. to say I've never been there. I haven't been, I haven't, you know, journeyed back to the homeland, if you will, to see what my life has become and where it started and why Ballard Canyon is like that place. I need to see it. Right. Absolutely. But when we were standing there and having that conversation, you know, that, that has always been something it's like, if somebody 
to me, if somebody says, yeah, this is what I want to do. And you have, you just have the smallest ability to help. You have to, right. That's what we all should do. Um, yeah, we, we should pull over and help somebody change their tire when there's the little old lady there, you know, that those are the things we should be doing. The, the thing that I, I remember so much about that, you know, meeting and you and I just hanging out and opening those two bottles and, and opening bottles that we didn't really have very much of left anymore was I, I, my life wasn't wine at that point. My wife was like, my life was, I need to provide for my family. I have these two coffee shops. I'm doing every odd job I can to keep our head above water, which we were desperately drowning in. And when I came back at that conversation, my dad goes, so how did it go today? And I go, someone who tastes a lot of wine said our wine was good. And he goes, really? And I looked at him and we kind of had that little, you know, look in the eyes moment. And I said, what, what we're doing is good because up until that point, you know, we made what 50 cases, 25 cases, I think maybe of that 2003 right. wine, we made maybe 50 cases of that 2015. And that's just because we had something left over that we couldn't sell to all of our customers. It wasn't that yeah. it was, that was the prime directive. That was the pro, the, the heart of the hide of what we were doing. It was just like, we have a little left over. Let, let's do something with it. Let's not let it hit the ground. And I can't stress enough that when you came and just tasted it, right. That when you're like, this is amazing. Can we sell this? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to underemphasize this enough. So I'm going to emphasize it exactly what it meant to me, which was, um, that it was breathing room. That sounds crazy to say to you, but in full disclosure that, you know, selling those cases off the back of my truck, literally to people who would drink a bottle and say, Hey, can I get more of that? It kept my family, uh, you know, it, it, it was food. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fuel for private jets. It was food. It was dinner that night. It was. And it was gas to get to work. It was, that's how real this was, you know? And when you taste it and go, this is great. Can I sell this? When you left, I can't tell you what it felt like to me to have someone say, um, this is good enough to be in a place like Silver Lake Wine, and I'll go back to that as being a massive touchstone for me too, that when I went in there, I didn't know 95% of the wines. You know, I was, I was the person, I was the, you know, snot-nosed punk that bought a guitar or made a guitar or was gifted a guitar, I don't know what you want to say, that learned some chords and was walking into the, the place to like see where the music was made. Right. And right. And being able to see that and buy bottles and drink them at home and going, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like. Because up until that point, I I didn't even know what a song was supposed to be like. It was just, this is the, (laughs) this is the expression of our vineyard. That's a very, very pretty way to say, I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I took that and I made that right. That was it. Um, but it was such a huge touchstone in my family's life that if you didn't have that friend whose dad was cracking those bottles for you or the sublease or the serendipitous magnet on the wall, I mean, this could be a movie, right? Of things that have happened in a, in a, not a comedic way, but in just the right way that have led to this point. I don't, I don't like to think where I would be without that one moment. And I just want to say to me, to you, and maybe I've never said that to you, but it, it, it absolutely no. meant the world to me. And I, I more than appreciate it. And, and every case we've made since then, you know, I'm still at works every, you know, every day, uh, Sundays, I, my kids barricade the door so I don't leave, but it still feels like that when people drink our wine and go, Hey, I like that. You know, this is good. Can I That's have awesome. some? And I've ne- that is n- the polish has never come off that for me. Um, but thank, I, I want to say thank you because without a Matt Canner, there probably wouldn't be a, a Sarlos and sons. 
It's incredibly humbling to hear you say that. And, you know, in the moment, you don't even think about your actions meaning anything other than, I mean, I was operating under a, it'd be cool to get this wine into the hands of our customers. They've never seen it before. We'd be the first to sell it. Yeah. It was mostly selfish. I hate saying it like that, but that's what it was. Hey man, it was, I wish there was a billion selfish people that wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was me wanting to prove to my boss that I could deliver yeah. on his challenge. And it was also like, I'm, I get to go now tell the story of how I met this guy and the time I spent with him. And I get to show the hard work he and his family do. And what I learned from that experience was when you direct the narrative like that, when you, when you disrupt the way this all works, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so yeah. we, we, we disrupted the way that it was all working before and the way that we all, we, you know, we're under this construct of how it should work. Things don't have to go a certain way. Obviously, you got to be lawful, but yeah. we basically said, oh, this is a good idea. Let's just fucking do it. Right. And it doesn't matter what convention tells us or if people think it's a good or a bad idea. We're just going to do it. Hmm. And it changed both of our lives. Absolutely. That, that, when I look back and, you know, you tie little red pieces of ribbon or a string about uh, against nails that are on the wall that you can look back to. And that's kind of what this – that's why I wanted to record this, you know, because I don't want to let – a decade go by or opportunity go by, um, going forward, you know, you and I both have enough now where we could, you know, strangely enough, we could stand and look back 10 years, you know, we're still looking forward 30, but we can look back 10 and the things that we were doing, I would say even 10 years ago, there's a whole generation of people now that are interested in wine, that are young Matt Kangers, that are young Keith Sarloses that are coming up in this and, and they're not, looking at the people we were looking at, they're looking at us to a certain extent yeah. going, I want to eat that dude's lunch. Right. And I, I feel that all the time and I'm good with it because I love this. You know, I don't want to stop working on Saturdays and pouring and doing that. I want to keep playing the game as hard as I possibly can. So when that, that new breed comes in, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a bunch of new players on the board. Let's go at it. Let's see what we can learn from them. Let's, let's move forward. Um, absolutely. What do we, okay. After the mutual admiration society, you know, here, here, we're, um, we'll come to a close. What, I mean, what's the, what's the next iteration? I mean, AMFM was, was pretty heavy at the time. I mean, that was, a AMFM became a good thing for us. Yeah. Um, it, so, you know, it was, a it was a way for you to do something. I mean, it's the same, but it's also different yeah. because it's not your family name. Yeah. Uh, it had a very specific, um, the, the, the outlets were not up in the Valley. You know, we were getting the wine in San Francisco and different places in LA and directly to some wine culture consumers, um, wine collector friends. And it it was just a thing where we kind of were able to, it was like making a, you know, a side project album. Yeah, absolutely. And I had my name band and we just did this, this thing that had a different project and, I was able to get a really great designer and animator from Disney to do a logo, yeah. a little hand-drawn logo. And we started with 50 cases of Syrah. Yeah, that and was, was rad. I'll make it disappear. Absolutely. We did a tasting at Domain LA. That was Oh, that's um, right. That was so fun. That was incredible. That was such a – I don't think they've – maybe they've had stuff like that before, but that was, that was pretty awesome. I think that was the first, actually. Was it really? They – done stuff since but i think that was their first one dude that was that was a wacky night i mean that was a super fun night i mean from eating like going out and eating dinner after that but you know bringing heat and just talking wine in front of people and kind of that young oh so you know like when you have something to prove and you're just you know i think i left and i was sweating you know, just for the fact that it was like, okay, we have an hour to like say everything that's built up in the, you know, in this relationship and let people taste wine and then somehow hit them with a hammer enough times that they understand what we're trying to get across. You know, that, that youthful exuberance. And that was so much Absolutely. fun. That was awesome. Yeah. That for me, that was, that was really the first time where I realized, okay, I'm not on for someone else. Yeah. That was a, that was a moment for me, a discovery for me, kind of like what I used to find when I would play my music to a crowd, when it was just me and a guitar mm-hmm. and you know, I'm singing these songs I wrote and it's like 
passionate things about ex-girlfriends and about failure and about how I view my life and like all this really naked emotion, you know, all of a sudden I was no longer a representative at a wine store. I was Matthew Kaner talking about a project I did with Keith Sarlos. And that was a new way for me to kind of escape how I wanted to move forward in my own framework of my mind of how this, how my career can go. Now, now let's put a pin in that because we only have about 15 minutes left because your meter is going to expire. Um, you know, w- let's talk about that big jump now and that big jump to Matt today, because one of the things, you know, I always loved about you is when you say I'm not a Psalm, right. And I, <laughs> I do dig that about you, but you know, give me the big bullet points. I mean, between Covell and every other restaurant that you've been a part of now traveling the world, um, people asking you to speak. I mean, let, let's talk about the PhD in the last 10 years, because, you know, if I'm going, if I'm going anywhere or I'm drinking anything, the first person, if I have a question, I call you because you will give me context. You will, you know, I've always seen you as the person that said, okay, um, and this is also why I'm getting on a plane and leaving to go see this because you are the person out there traveling. You are the person that is putting their fingers in the soil and being our representative, I think is a great way to put it rather than some bullshit psalm where you're actually digging in the dirt and finding out the real story. I mean, you are the... You are the CNN wartime correspondent of wine, and <laughs> and doing my best. No, and 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 kind of extrapolate that on that for us. Well, I opened a, a wine bar with my business partner Dustin Lancaster. Who before we opened it, we were just good friends, and that really is what started it all. What kind of changed? It was another line in the sand moment for me. So we opened a place called Covell or Bar Covell, which is a. Uh, now it's been open almost nine years. Um, the the point was to whoa 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 don't not don't, be don't blast over that. Give me some of the Barcovell's accolades, please. Well, let let me explain okay. it first, and then I Good. will. Yeah. But the point of Barcovell was kind of uh, an extension of all the things we had as pet peeves of other places. Like mm-hmm. when you go somewhere and you you're all excited and you order whatever wine by the glass you just read about, and they say, "I'm so sorry, we're out of that," or you know, sometimes people just want to drink Cabernet and they, they won't break out of their comfort zone. So, you know, people often will just have Cabernet for them because it's easy and it's a quick sell and you don't have to explain it. Um, also, you have to know like nine languages when you're talking wine because there's so many different things that are talked about from different origins, and different places. So what we realized and how we started to think about it in our young kind of <laughs> cocky minds was the wine list is the problem. If we take the wine list out of the equation – then we can actually talk to people, help them use a wine vernacular, and maybe all be on the same page about this a little bit more than we would be if they're just kind of tied to the the lack of knowledge they have and the inability to know what things are. And the overwhelming really- aspect of a wine list that nobody wants to fight over to order. Exactly. So what we did was we built a wine program uh, of by-the-glass offerings – and we had 150 wines by the glass with no wine list. The, Say that again, 150 happened. wines by the glass, no wine list, which puts an amazing burden on the person behind the bar. It does. And what it does is it makes you um, have to not only give someone the attention they deserve when you're there helping them the first time, but you have to explain mm-hmm. it. They often will ask where your wine list is, and then they just think you're a dick for not giving them one. They think you're withholding yeah. one. There is no wine list at Covell. The, the, the wine list is the interaction. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it's a build-your-own-adventure of wine. It's a way to unlock an experience. And I get it. Everyone who knows about wine wants to see a piece of paper with all this shit written on it and all the prices. I get it. I get it. But sometimes you got to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and allow for an experience to happen. And I know that Americans aren't really good at that. I know it's it's a bit of a struggle for us. We like to have power in certain situations. And we like to order by number. I'll take a number two with no pickles. Yep, exactly. We want it, yeah, it, it needs to be streamlined like that. But that's not how wine works. Wine is such a sophisticated thing. Wine is the synthesis of 365 days of the year in a vineyard, and then God knows how many days in a winery, 
with multiple hands touching things and making decisions. You've got chemistry happening. You've got physics happening. It's not as simple as this is grape juice with you know alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. And it, there's there's so many factors that go into it. So we just wanted to change people's perception and how they got to it. And what that ended up doing was it became, um, in some people's opinion, an assault on the wine industry. And in other people's opinion, the greatest thing that ever happened in a wine bar. And what ultimately ended up happening was we helped people be able to ask for what they're asking for. They were able to use the wine vernacular and say, I'd like a lighter bodied, more mineral driven, dry white wine, rather than saying, I drink Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. We were giving people context. Mm -hmm. We were helping them understand that within a wine, there are characteristics. And if you like a characteristic of a wine, it's pretty likely you're going to like another characteristic of another Mm -hmm. wine. So if you love Nirvana, you might also love fill in the blank other band. Absolutely. If you chance the rapper you might also love you know it it was like an early pandora for wine such a great analogy perfect we're trying to get people to think about it characteristically so that way when we don't have the um you know what do i people come in and ask for the prisoner they ask for rombauer chardonnay or they ask for zone in prosecco they ask for brands they know Mm -hmm. and we were never going to have those Mm -hmm. so what we wanted was a way to explain, okay, so you're looking for something lighter bodied, full of fruit. Here's something like that for context. Yeah, It's like and somebody it, walking in, singing you a song and you're like, well, have you heard of these guys? Yep. Very much back to the CD or the LP analogy. So the Covell thing, the disruption of the, no longer do you get handed a piece of paper like everywhere else in the world. It created waves mm-hmm. and we got a lot of attention. Um, Dustin has gone on and opened, I think he's on his 14th other business now. And I've uh, gotten a lot of travel opportunities from it. I actually started my own personal corporation called Will Travel for Wine. Because <laughs> anyone who's listening, I will travel hey, for wine. Hey, is that a job? So you know, That's a job? Uh, it's a byproduct That's of That's well done. Well done. It's a byproduct of my life. Um, Covell has been named Best Wine Bar in America. It's been named one of the best wine bars in the world. Um, I got nominated and named um, Sommelier of the Year, which they named 10 a year from Food & Wine Magazine. That was in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had other accolades and other you know things we've been up for. Uh, locally, LA, the, um, LA Weekly has named us Wine Bar of the Year. And um, the Time Out Awards has named us Bar of the Year for Wine Bars. You know, th- these, these little things that they, we don't do it for press. We don't do it for accolades, yeah. but you know, it, it's nice. It doesn't feel bad when people say you're good. Good for you, man. You killed it. Doesn't hurt. Well done. Well done. So yeah, at this point, my, my life, I've become more of a janitor. I've become more of a babysitter. I've become more of a secretary. And it's just kind of what happens as you grow. And, you know, I've got three wine bars now. I've got a restaurant. I've got AMFM. I've got uh, a new wine club I'm working on called Sullivan, which will launch this year. And I don't know what's next. But um, what I do know is that every day I carry with me lessons from, first off, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And how do I get to where I'm going next? That's a perfect place. We, we've got only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, the one thing I want to ask you, and I would love to hear your answer, is what advice would you give the young Matt you know, you're, you're sliding a note into your own locker um, from the future or you are mentoring or you are going to be the mentor you wish you had. What, what advice are you giving that that kid? And I say kid, I mean, you know, early 20s person who is setting off on this path. What advice would you give them? The biggest piece of advice I would give myself 10 years back is to relax and not to overthink things. I, so in my music, I was my own worst enemy. I held myself back. <clears throat> I would constantly tell myself, that's not good enough. That's not the sound you want. And then what ended up happening is I'd scrap things that probably were really valuable. Could have been a great song. I'd done the same in the wine world as well. I've overthought, scrutinized, you know, um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't think about things. Thought is very important, but I've been really hard on myself and my thoughts and I overanalyze and I just needed to relax and not overthink. It's really, I think, important to 
allow. Uh, so one of the, the big analogies I like to make in life now, I, I always challenge people to be more of a jellyfish and less of a shark. Mm. And here's what I mean in saying that. A shark is fast. It can get to its prey and it goes from zero to 60 faster than any animal there is in the water, right? But it misses every single step along the way. All it sees is the prey and gets to the prey and it's there and it's like, okay, what now? But a jellyfish doesn't have that ability. It doesn't have the thrusters. It doesn't have speed. It gets carried by the water and it goes where the water takes it. And maybe the jellyfish sees things the shark doesn't see. So I'm trying to just understand it's okay for the journey to happen, to see what happens along the way. Take the fork in the road. If you're supposed to turn left, sometimes it's okay to turn right. Uh, if, if society's telling you this is a way that this experience is supposed to go, it's okay if it doesn't go that way. Just relax. Hmm. It's all going to be all right. Matt Kaner, this has been amazing, man. Um, do you have any questions for me? I got to open, I got to open it up cause I don't want to be dominating on this conversation and beating you up. Um, other than man, dude, it, it's been a pleasure to know you for the last decade. I am amazingly excited to see where you go. Uh, the 30 years after this, um, I'm looking forward to being old friends with you. Absolutely. It's extremely mutual. And I, I can't wait for those moments too down the road as well. Um, really for me, my, my biggest thing I've been interested to know is, you know, you, you moved up to help your father and help your uncle. You convinced your wife with a young kid mm-hmm. to uproot your lives and move to a place where there, how many people were living in Los Olivos at that point? 1,000. Like, <laughs> yeah. Population of thousand town. I, I didn't want to yeah. underestimate. I was going to guess about a thousand or 1,500. Um, so what I want to know is, so you've made that decision. You're there. Was there a moment where you said, it's over, I can't do this, and I'm leaving, oh. and then you were either talked out of it, or was there a turning point where you're like, okay, I no longer am doubting this, and I know it's right? Did that happen for you? Uh, yeah. Um, I know we only got a couple minutes, and this is a pretty big answer, but I will slam right into this. Um, here's the slam part of it. I got to the darkest point of my life, without a doubt. And what I mean by that is I made a lot of promises. I had a lot of hope. Um, absolutely the, uh, five old goes West aspect or five, you know, the, the, the mouse gets on the boat and gets off and, and everything you dreamed that would be there was the opposite, right? It was, it was absolutely like moving to a new country. That's the only way I can put it. And, uh, my finances dried up, uh, Everything seemed to be going wrong. I made a lot of promises to a very beautiful woman who could do 10 times better than me. I dragged her up here and green acred her. We had a child sleeping between us. Um, and then we had another one on the way. And we were basically running three businesses at that point and still failing. And wow. got to, without a doubt, the darkest place of my life. I can draw you an X where I was sitting. And this moment came over me and the the only way I can describe it and this is very vulgar is that I, I drugged the person I was out of the truck, kicking and screaming and I killed him. And that is a really harsh way to put it, but it's the only way I can put it. And I decided that Every day after that day was bonus and every risk I have to take and every hour I have to work and everything I have to do after that, I'm playing bonus money now because that other guy is gone because whatever that guy did was failing. Whatever that guy did was wrong. I was George Costanza. I was making, even though I was working, there was no reward to the effort, everything, everything, everything. I I prayed as hard as I possibly could. And the truth of it is, after that day, everything, everything I built up after that moment was not only freeing, but it wasn't me anymore. And I, I had a conversation with my mom and going back to that church group thing. My mom told me straight to my face that I, she prayed that I would be humble and whatever had to happen for that to happen 
should. And I got I got busted down to, you know, nothing in my pocket and mouths to feed. And that happened. And everything after that was if I need to work six days a week, if I need to work seven days a week, I worked seven days a week for a good six years and poured everything I had into our label. And you were a big part of that. And Randy and Silver Lake Wine was a big part of that. And a lot of Brooks Firestone was a big part of that. My father is a big part of that, that I am so out of my depth now that you need to work twice as hard as everybody else. And pretty soon you might catch someone. And that is, that is still the ethos that I have where if you come here on a Saturday, I'll be here. And not only will I be here, but I'll be pouring wine for small groups in the back. And I can honestly say now that I put it all on paper, I don't, and you could tell me better than anyone else that we are 100% a state, which to me is a big deal. Uh, we've planted every single vine ourselves. We farm it all ourselves. We pick it all ourselves. We make it all ourselves. And the only place I design all the labels myself, even to the t-shirts on the wall, we designed our whole tasting room ourselves. And I'll be sitting here pouring wine with pictures of my family on it um, forever. And all the way through from a state to we'll pour it for you because I, I know that's what's got us here. And that'll be the that'll be our salvation on the way out of this place. And absolutely, that, amen. To and that. there's not many people that do that. And I, I'm I'm proud to say that I, I feel like we're in a in a good club of people who got into this not may who got into this reluctantly. We we didn't want to make wine because we've traveled and love wine. We had to feed people, and that's what it still is. So. That's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry about, but um, no. It, it, what it is is it, it starts with you. Yeah. That's the way it all boiled down for me. Was that you had to have that come to Jesus? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You had to look. Your, you had to look yourself in the mirror and beat the shit out of yourself yeah. to put part of you behind you. Totally, and and run as hard as I could forward. And here's the truth. Uh, you know, you've heard it a billion times, but our our little creed, which is we live to honor those that have come before us. And we prepare the way for those yet to come. So everything in my life is to honor my folks and my family and make sure my kids have a better life than I do. And if my dad has done, I'm not, if my dad has done that, my grandpa did do, did do that. My, we are teaching that to my kids and that's about, that's selfless, not selfish. And it's hard. But truthfully, at the end of the day, and I, I wanted to finish this whole thing with, with a statement that I don't know if I stole from you or you stole from me, but I love it and I use it all the time, which is if you think of wine as a beverage, you've missed, what, 90% of the point. And um, that, that's still what stays true. And that's the thing that I've always respected about you. You're not you, – you've never been a person that drinks something and – you know, mm, yeah. And then you pour it out, you go to, what's the story? What's the context? What, where's this grown? Yeah. Why, what is it like? Why, why does it taste this way? What does your neighbor taste like? And you do this exegesis on wine that takes an amazing amount of effort and precision and time and plane trips because you don't want to read about it. You want to be about it. And that passion has never wavered once. And I'm, I've always been impressed by it. I've, you're the, you're the person that, you know, if I would go jogging with that, I would want to run with because you run like uh, your cadence is just a little faster. And I always keep looking at it and I kind of see it and I'm like, Oh, I got to keep up. I got to run a little faster. And it's always, it's always been motivating. And I've, I've always appreciated that about you. Oh man. It, look, I couldn't say <laughs> stronger word. You, um, your family, the the dynamic you guys have, I've learned a lot from the way that you honor not only the past but the way you look forward. Uh, it's it's something that you see generationally in this country, 
but it's something that, you know, growing up in Santa Barbara, I didn't see a lot yeah. of that. And, you know, I, you, you're a product of your environment. You're a product of your friends. But then as you get older, you really, you know, you soak things up differently. Yeah. And watching the way that your family interacts and the way that you personally understand your family's history and the, the, the future of your family, it's really something that I cherish. And it's, it's special. And I learn from it. I'm so glad we did this, man. I'm so glad we did this, dude. This was definitely one for the archives and definitely one for the record books. So, um, uh, you know, hello, stranger, goodbye, friend. I, he, one of my best buddies, Matt Kaner, the person in wine that I've learned more from. He has forgot more about wine than I will ever know. Um, he is the generalist of wine where he generally knows everything about wine. And I've always thought we're just, you know, the only thing I ever wanted to learn is about our own property because that's the only thing I can possibly farm. And that's the only place we can make wine from. But it's always it's always an honor to be in your presence and drink wine with you and and hang out. And we got to get it got to get together soon. man. Absolutely. I look forward to it. I'll let you go feed the meter. Thank you again, man. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. bro. Thanks. Bye.